Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, my co-host is Katie, and we are officially wrapping up comparing the book and the movie, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Like I said last week, fucking finally! And let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of the final chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapter 37, The Beginning, and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. The Diggories surprisingly don't blame Harry for Cedric's demise. Hagrid Madame Maxime let half-giant bygones be half-giant bygones. Dumbledore may make the occasional mistake, but damn can he deliver a kick-ass eulogy. Anyone seeking closure in regards to Karkaroff ought not depend on the movie to deliver. After a year at a trunk, Mad-Eye Moody is now even more untrusting than he was before, if that's even possible. And, as always, when faced with the choice between what is right and what is lazy storytelling, Newell once again skips merrily down the wrong path. During episode 113, Headmaster Out snitches. Our Potter pondering was... What are your overall thoughts about how the movie handled Dumbledore's speech about Cedric's death and Voldemort's return? Plus, with the little sum-up scene they did of Dumbledore and Harry in the dormitory instead of his office. What do you think? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering and Bullshit. Because they are wrong for this. They are wrong. This is why there's a large chunk of the fandom that doesn't even fuck with Dumbledore. They don't like him. There are literal hours-long YouTube collectives of motherfuckers saying that Dumbledore was the puppet master and literally jacking Harry around this whole time like it was a game. And you know why? Because they didn't read the books and they watched these trash-ass movies and was like, oh my gosh, Dumbledore is horrible. He fucking exposed him in Goblet of Fire in front of all of his peers. And he didn't even know what happened. He didn't even talk to Harry about anything. He just goes and calls this fucking feast that's a mandatory and says, oh yeah, by the way, all this happened. That You know what? It didn't have nothing to do with Rita Skeeter. This is why the ministry is prosecuting them because Dumbledore... And the movies do stupid shit like this. Wow. And then he gives Harry this nice, small, lackluster bit of information like Priya and Cantatum. The drapes are old as fuck, Harry. He ain't no. What the hell did I got to do with anything? Make it make sense. It doesn't. People who don't read the books, who have not read the books, who don't know what's going on here are literally clueless in this aspect. Do you know there are, like, mashup memes of Harry against, like, Ash Ketchum from Pokemon who will win? Harry Potter and Yu-Gi-Oh! who will win? Because they think Harry is a fucking superhero. Now, don't get me wrong. Harry is definitely a hero, okay? And to be honest, he's the underdog of his group. Hermione is actual, you know, head honcho here. But 
they really think if they didn't read the books, they think Harry fucking manhandled Voldy on every occasion because they don't know what the fuck prior incontinence is. They think, oh, in first year, oh, Voldy in the back of this teacher's head, bam, magic that ass. 11-year-old superhero wizard boy. Fuck you mean. Second year? Oh, you trying to mark my future wife in the basement? I got you, Valdi. Bam. Magic that ass. Superhero Harry to the rescue. Oh, trying to mark me in the graveyard, my guy? Ah, Cedric. Oh, my gosh. Not today. Not me. Bam. Magic that ass. Superhero Harry to the rescue. Because they don't know what the fuck really happened. And the movie doesn't even explain it to them. That's why there's literal a whole bunch of people who read the books years later and are like, what the fuck did I watch? I can tell you what you watched. You watched some bullshit. Because the only reason Harry won every time was accidentally on purpose. Even the end. Yeah, I said it. No, no. He's a superhero. Did you see what happened? He out-magicked him in that graveyard with that shit. Whatever the fuck, Byron Contotimus, no bitch, he said Expelliarmus. Make it make sense. What did we watch, you guys? I cannot believe this was my favorite movie. Good grief. Hi there, it is the Fort Padger calling in on her birthday to leave a Potter pondering for y'all. So... What are my overall thoughts about how the movie handled Dumbledore's speech about Cedric's death and Voldemort's return? I think that it was very fitting with the Michael Gambon Dumbledore in the intensity in which he said it. That particular speech always puts me in the feels to remember what happens to someone who showed kindness and decency in the face of adversity. So I think the movie did a very good job with that, honestly. Uh, Showcasing Voldemort's return, I don't think that they did a very good job showcasing how scary that was. And I don't know if it's because I've watched the movie so many times that it's just like it doesn't even have an effect on me anymore. But, you know, I don't think that the scariness of Voldemort was ever really there for that particular piece. How do I feel about the little sum up scene that they did? Oh, I really liked that. It felt very genuine and like personal and kind. I thought that it was a good way for them to show that Dumbledore had some genuine care for Harry, even though in the next book and movie, Dumbledore spends 90% of it ignoring Harry. So, so that's my Potter pondering. I have enjoyed listening to y'all talk about Goblet, but I'm very excited to get to y'all talking about Order. And I will call in another pondering later. G'day Keepers, this is Jackson here. So, uh, I'm going to start off with not a rant, because Dumbledore's speech about Cedric after his death, I didn't mind the movie's version of that. I mean, yeah, it wasn't quote for quote, but, you know, it it summed it up very well, and I think Gambon did okay here. You know, Gambon will never beat Richard Harris, but he does well in some scenes, and this was one of the scenes where he did all right as Dumbledore. He really conveyed 
the emotion of that speech pretty well, I think. Yeah, they could have done the wording a bit better, but it was all right. Now here comes the rant. Harry's conversation with Dumbledore about Priori and Cantatum. What the fuck, Newell? Seriously, mate? Oh, my God. No mention of what Priori and Cantatum does, how it happened, why it happened. Oh, my God. Seriously? I'm just glad that this is the last time I'm going to say fucking Newell. Oh, anyway, that's my thoughts. Hi, friends. It's Juliana with this week's Potter Pondering. I have big feelings with Dumbledore's speech because I happened to be rereading this on September 11th, 2001. And the whole we are as united as we are divided, all of that stuff, that just gets me in the feels because it takes me back to that moment. I'm kind of disappointed it wasn't in the movie more, or it wasn't the way I hoped it would be in the movie. Yeah, but I think that's just their not-so-great writing. And the fact that Cedric's death isn't really talked about in the movie is disappointing as well. But, yeah, there you go, friends. Bye. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was... What card game do Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred, and George play on the Hogwarts Express? They play many games of Exploding Snap. Congratulations goes to Juliana Muma. Woohoo! We're keeping up our streak of tons of different people answering each week. It makes it so exciting. Who's going to win this week? We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of the final chapter of Goblet of Fire, Chapter 37, The Beginning, and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. Chapter 37, The Beginning, Part 2. Harry has his trunk all packed, with Hedwig in her cage on top of it, and is waiting for the carriages to take them back to the Hogsmeade station in the crowded entrance hall with Ron and Hermione. It is a beautiful summer day, but the idea of arriving back at Privet Drive gives him no pleasure at all. He hears his name called and turns to see Fleur Delacour running up the stone steps into the castle. She holds out her hand to say they will see each other again since she's hoping to get a job there to improve her English. Ron tells her that it's good already, and Hermione scowls when Fleur smiles at him. The beautiful witch says goodbye and crosses back over the lawns to Madame Maxime in the giant carriage. Ron wonders how the Durmstrang students will get back without Karkaroff, and a gruff voice informs him that Karkaroff did not steer the ship, but instead stayed in the cabin and let them do all the work. Victor Crumb asks for a word with Hermione, who looks flustered but agrees. She follows him through the crowd as Ron yells after her to hurry, since the carriages will be there any minute. He then spends the next several minutes trying to see what they might be up to until they return. Crumb tells Harry that he liked Diggory, who was always very polite to him, even though he was from Durmstrang with Karkaroff. He scowls as he says his former headmaster's name and shrugs when Harry wonders if anyone has replaced him yet. Crumb shakes Harry's hand, then Ron's, who looks like he's having an internal struggle. When Crumb starts to walk away, he blurts out a request for his autograph, and though Crumb looks surprised, he signs a fragment of parchment for Ron. 
Harry, Ron, and Hermione manage to get a train compartment to themselves, and while all their animals snooze, they get to talk more freely than they had all week. They only stop their conversation when the lunch trolley arrived. When Hermione returns to her seat, she dislodges a copy of the Daily Prophet as she puts her money back into her school bag. Harry looks at it, concerned about what it might say, but Hermione confidently tells him that there's nothing there, that Fudge must be forcing them to keep quiet. Harry doesn't think Fudge will ever be able to keep Rita Skeeter quiet, but Hermione says, in an oddly constrained voice, that Rita hasn't written anything since the third task and won't be writing anything for a while, unless she wants Hermione to spill the beans on her. Ron wonders what she's talking about, and Hermione explains in a rush that she found out how Rita was listening in to private conversations when she wasn't supposed to be on the grounds. Harry asks how she was doing it, and Ron asks how Hermione found out, and she explains that it was actually Harry who gave her the idea. She refers to bugging, saying that she doesn't mean electronic bugs, but rather that Rita Skeeter is an unregistered animagus that can turn into a beetle. As she reveals this, she pulls a sealed glass jar out of her bag, containing a few twigs and a leaf and one large beetle. Ron is in disbelief that she actually has Rita Skeeter in a jar, and Hermione points out how the markings around the beetle's eyes are exactly like Rita's glasses. Harry remembers that there was a beetle on the statue the night they heard Hagrid tell Madame Maxime about his mum, and Hermione says that Victor pulled a beetle out of her hair after their conversation by the lake. She also figures that Rita was perched on the windowsill in the divination classroom when Harry's scar hurt and has been buzzing around for stories all year. Ron realizes that Malfoy must have been talking to her in his hand, and Hermione confirms this, saying he must have known and that's how she was getting all the interviews with the Slytherins. She puts the jar bag in her bag smiling until Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle open their compartment door. Draco sarcastically calls Granger very clever, and the three boys look more pleased with themselves and arrogant than Harry has ever seen them. Malfoy walks into the compartment and mocks Hermione for catching a pathetic reporter and Harry for being Dumbledore's favorite boy again. He smirks, asking if Harry is trying to not think about it, and Harry very simply tells him to get out and grips his wand under his robes. Malfoy begins talking about how Harry picked the losing side and how he warned him not to hang around riffraff like Ron and Hermione. When he mentions Diggory being the first to go after the Dark Lord's return, spells from every direction go off like fireworks in the compartment. Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle are all unconscious in the doorway, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione are standing, each having used a different hex. Fred and George are also in the corridor, having also cursed the three Slytherins. They step into the compartment, George making it a point to tread on Malfoy, and check out the effects of the multitude of curses. George wonders who used the Fernunculus curse, since it seems to have mixed oddly with his jelly legs jinx, and caused Crab to sprout tentacles all over his face. Ron, Harry, and George roll them out into the corridor and shut the door. Fred pulls out a pack of cards, and they all start playing Exploding Snap. By their fifth game, Harry decides to just ask the twins who they were blackmailing, and though they initially tried dodging the question, they eventually admit that it was Ludo Bagman. Harry wonders if he was involved in the Death Eater stuff, but George cuts him off to say that it wasn't anything like that. He's a stupid git who wouldn't have the brains. 
Ron wants to know what he did do, and the twins explain that he paid them in leprechaun gold for their winning bet at the Quidditch World Cup, and it vanished the next day. Hermione figures it must have been an accident, and they say that's what they thought too, but in the end he turned pretty nasty and said they were too young to gamble and refused to give them anything. They asked for their money back, and he also refused to do that. It turned out that Lee Jordan's dad had trouble getting money off of him as well, and that Bagman is in big trouble with the goblins, having borrowed loads of gold off of them that he hasn't paid back. He tried to pay it back by putting a big bet against the goblins on Harry to win the tournament, and Harry now understands why he kept trying to help him win. He figures that Bagman can pay them back now since he did win, but the goblins play as dirty as Bagman and claimed he drew with Diggory and didn't win outright. In the end, Bagman had to run for it, which he did right after the third task. George sighs and begins dealing the cards out again. The rest of the journey passes pleasantly enough. Harry actually never wants to arrive at King's Cross, but has learned the hard way that Time does not slow down when something unpleasant is ahead. All too soon, they are pulling in at platform nine and three quarters, and all the students begin to disembark. Hermione and Ron struggle past Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle, but Harry stops Fred and George before they can leave. He pulls out the sack of galleons and thrusts it into George's hands, telling them to take it for the joke shop. The twins initially refuse to accept the gold, but Harry insists, saying that he doesn't want it or need it, but he thinks they could all do with a few laughs. George weighs the sack with his hands and says there's got to be a thousand galleons in here. Harry grins and tells him to think how many canary creams that is. The twins just stare at him, and Harry requests that they don't tell their mum where they got the money. Fred begins to protest, but Harry pulls out his wand and tells them to take it or he will hex them. He also asks them to buy Ron some different dress robes and say they're from them. Harry then leaves, stepping over the three Slytherins, before Fred and George can say another word. Uncle Vernon is waiting beyond the barrier, near Mrs. Weasley, who gives Harry a tight hug and whispers that she thinks Dumbledore will let him stay with them later in the summer. Ron and Hermione both say goodbye, the twins mutter their thanks, and Harry winks back before silently following his uncle from the station, deciding there is no point in worrying yet. As Hagrid said, what will come will come, and he will meet it when it does. In the movie, the camera cuts to crowds of students from Hogwarts, Durmstrang, and Bobaton milling around, preparing to leave the castle. Victor Crumb approaches Hermione and hands her a note, asking her to write to him. Hermione says bye, and the camera cuts to Fleur and her sister Gabrielle saying goodbye to Ron, each with a kiss. Ron exhales as they walk off, and the camera cuts to Harry, who is walking along by himself and just watching everyone exchange their cheerful goodbyes. He finds himself smiling a little. The camera then shows the Durmstrang ship on the water, and everyone applauding as the Bobaton and Durmstrang students head down the corridor, before shifting to the Golden Trio. Ron wants to know if they will ever just have a quiet year at Hogwarts, and both Harry and Hermione say no with a laugh. Ron says, oh well, what's life without a few dragons, and the two boys start to walk away. They hesitate when they realize that Hermione didn't move and look back at her. With a sad smile and a wavery voice, she comments on how everything is going to change now. Harry walks back over to her, puts his hand on her shoulder, and plainly says, yes. 
Hermione nods, steals herself, and then joins the boys as they walk down the corridor. She asks them both to promise to write over the summer, and Ron tells her that she knows he won't. She grabs Harry's arm and says that he will, which gets her a very sarcastic, yeah, every week, in response. She smiles and shakes her head as they walk out a doorway overlooking the mountains and watches the Bobaton carriage flies by. The camera follows the carriage, cutting to it flying past the Durmstrang ship sailing away on the lake, right before it lowers down beneath the surface and the carriage disappears into the distance. The camera fades to black and the credits roll. Bam. <laughs> oh, bam. I mean, we still have to talk about the differences here. Yeah, but... And the some similarities. Because there are some of both. Some. The differences mostly occur in things the movie left out. Mm-hmm. Usually happens that way. But in this instance, what they did include was pretty similar. Minor changes. We'll talk about it. Yep. In the book, we start this section off talking about Harry's trunk being packed and everything piled up with Hedwig in her cage on top. Mm-hmm. And they're all down in the entrance hall, just waiting for the carriages to arrive so they can load everything up and head to the train station in Hogsmeade. Yep. They mention that it's a beautiful summer day. And Harry's even thinking about like how green it's going to be back at Privet Drive and all of the flowers in the flower bed. and Because mm-hmm. everybody in that neighborhood cares about what their lawn looks like. So it's got to be beautiful. Oh, yeah. They're perfectly manicured lawns, man. But he cares nothing about that. And the idea of going back to Privet Drive is just like <laughs> to him. Understandably, because he has to go to the Dursleys. <laughs> he has to go see those satchels of assholes. Mm-hmm. And who wants to do that? Literally no one. Not I. Nor I. (laughs) (laughs) He then hears his name called. And when he turns to see who it is, it's Fleur de Lacour. And she actually went out of her way to run across the grounds to the Hogwarts castle to say goodbye to Harry before they take off in their carriage. Which is understandable because they've been through a lot together. Yeah, but I think that the book did a better job showing the kind of person that Fleur is in the long run. The books do. The movie just showed Fleur as being pretty. superficial and pretty. And She's pretty. Fuck all else. So anything compared to that is better. Yeah. <laughs> but she shakes his hand and says that they'll see each other again because she's hoping to get a job there so she can improve her English. Aw. And Ron's like, it's good already. <laughs> Ron's still trying. Yeah. And she smiles at him. I mean, you can't blame him for shooting his shot. Not at all. And it gets him a smile. Meh, hey, that's something. Which makes Hermione scowl. Of course. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing this rewritten from Sarah's perspective Mm -hmm. as Hermione, you know? Yeah. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, one of our patrons, Sarah Baines Miller, is actually rewriting all of the Harry Potter books from Hermione's perspective. Mm -hmm. She just finished the third one. They are incredible. Oh, they're so, so wonderful. I love the depth she's given to Hermione. Mm-hmm. And she went all out with Azkaban, too. Yeah. She got really in depth with scheduling and just all the details and everything. And I'm so excited. Yeah. And I was telling her the first one and the second one, they were really good. I enjoyed reading them. It was fun. It was still the stories, you know? Mm hmm. This one, she, her own writing style is shining through it. Yeah. 
I saw that in the second one a little bit too. It was starting to sound a little bit more like her voice. Mm-hmm. The first one sounded a little bit too much like she was trying to imitate Rolling. Yeah. The second one, she got herself. The third one, it pays wonderful homage to the original story. But her voice, and she's really fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Her voice and all of the little Easter eggs that she put in there that make references to the movies or our podcast or echo cordy because of his role as bem like oh Mm -hmm. my god it's a wonderful read so we posted that on our facebook page and i'll make sure to repost it again when she gets the whole thing uploaded but you guys should definitely check it out if you hadn't but like i said really looking forward to seeing this particular moment with hermione having that little bit of jealousy towards Mm -hmm. ron and fleur little tinge if you will and then the beautiful witch says goodbye and just Runs back over the lawns, back to Madame Maxime in that giant powder blue carriage, and gets ready to go. Like you do. Right. Mm -hmm. As Ron watches this happen, because you know he loves to watch them walk away. Facts. (laughs) (laughs) It makes him wonder how the Durmstrang students are going to get back without Karkaroff to steer the ship. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, this gruff voice comes up behind him, and he's just like... Karkaroff didn't steer the ship. That son of a bitch let us do all of the work. He literally like (laughs) ate bonbons in his cabin while we did everything. Although I'm not going to lie, based on how he treated Crumb when they first arrived at Hogwarts, I think Crumb was in there with him eating those bonbons and not doing any of the work. But right. (laughs) Either way, color me not surprised. Right. Karkaroff is such a bitch. Yeah. And he didn't do any of the work. So the Durmstrang students all know how to get themselves back, but it seems interesting to think that there's not going to be an adult with them. Yeah. Because Harry does ask, did anybody replace your headmaster yet? And yeah. Crumb just like shrugs. So no, I guess that's a no. Apparently not. It just seems so odd that, like, how will this not become Lord of the Flies part two is what I want to know. Like, well, in the book, it's not all boys. Well, there's that. There is that. They have the girls for the voice of reason, I suppose. I guess. If it was the movie, it would totally be Lord of the Flies Part 2. Definitely Lord of the Flies Part (laughs) 2. Holy shit. (laughs) But anyway, Victor asks for a word with Hermione, and she's super flustered by this, but agrees. Mm -hmm. And she follows him through the crowd because they needed some privacy. And Ron's just yelling after her. So now we have the jealousy coming back from Ron. And I love this. It's a beautiful little setup here. Mm-hmm. But he yells after her to hurry up because the carriages are going to be there any minute. And then spends the rest of that time waiting for her to come back. Just trying to like up on his tiptoes, trying to see yeah. through the crowd what they're getting up to. What's what's going on? What's going on? He's he's leaning in. He's leaning in. What's he doing? What's he, He's whispering in her ear. Get off of her, man. What do you say? What do you say? Yeah. Damn it, I need to learn to read lips. Let me at him, let me at him. (laughs) (laughs) But it really was only a few minutes, and then they were back. And Crumb tells Harry that he always liked Diggory, who was very polite to him despite being from Durmstrang, Mm -hmm. with Karkaroff scowling. This is actually when Harry asks if they have a replacement headmaster yet. Yeah. New. (laughs) And we don't need one. But, But then Crumb, like I said, shakes Harry's hand, and then shakes Ron's hand. Mm-hmm. And this sends Ron into this internal struggle where he's like shaking his hand and he's just like, I hate this person. He's hitting on Hermione and he's just like, he's from Durmstrang. He was competing against Harry. He's a famous Quidditch player. Can I have your autograph? Right. <laughs> but he's Victor Crumb. Right. Victor, I love you. Victor, I do. When, when we're apart, apart, my heart beats only for you. 
But yes, so... So his heart is beating for him again. Yes. Basically. And he gets his fragment of parchment signed. Mm-hmm. Crumb looks a little bit surprised, but he does it. Yeah. I think he's actually kind of pleased, too. Yeah. Because Ron was kind of a little bitch to him all year. Ron was a bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. The movie does this a little differently. Shocker. Huh? <laughs> Picking up after Dumbledore and Harry's extremely pointless discussion that cleared up absolutely nothing. We then join the rest of the school in the courtyard saying their goodbyes to their new foreign friends and hoping no one will have to sit through another performance of Huggy Warty Hogwarts just like they did in the deleted scene. Because that was dumb. It was awkward. It was awkward as hell and I'm still so glad it was deleted. And... One thing I do want to point out here as a difference is they have everybody in the courtyard as opposed to the entrance hall. Yes. Minor change, similar gist. Exactly. Victor goes up to Hermione and passes her a note asking her to promise that she'll write him. Sort of ding. Sort of ding. That was a bing. It was a bing. <laughs> bing. <laughs> Maybe a ping. <laughs> Hermione doesn't really say she will. She just gives him a somewhat noncommittal bye. That always struck me as odd. Because he's like, write to me, promise. And she, she just goes, goes bye. bye. <laughs> like, you that's not an answer. That's not a promise. That's that's not what you did. But moving on, I digress. We next see Gabrielle and Fleur de la Cour approaching Ron to say goodbye, kissing him on the cheek and the forehead respectively. Ron blows out of breath as they walk away and thinks about how much he's matured since beginning of the year Ron would have watched them walk away. Because he loves to. Uh-huh. And book Ron does. He does. <laughs> so. And another change from the book is that Fleur was saying goodbye to Harry, not Ron. Mm-hmm. There were no kisses, forehead, cheek, or anything. Yes. Ron was present for this moment. Mm -hmm. He does have the little exchange about her English already being good. Yeah. But Fleur went to say bye to Harry, not to Ron. Yeah. Harry's not essentially in this scene yet. Right. But he does show up now. <laughs> cue Harry's entrance to the scene. And cue Potter. We then see Harry watching from the corridor as everyone hugs and says their goodbyes. Smiling slightly, he tries not to think about all the questions still hanging out in his head. Like, I don't know, like, how did Barty Crouch Jr. escape the ban? What the hell is Priori and Cantatum? And where the actual fuck did the butterflies come from during Bobaton's entrance all those months ago? Because that never got answered. Magic. Magic. <laughs> Lactating butterflies. It answers all of them. It answers none of them. How did Barty Crouch Jr. escape the ban? Magic. What the hell is Priori and Cantatum? magic where the actual fuck did the butterflies come from during Bobaton's entrance all those months ago magic it works i mean yeah it works but not in a clear and concise storyline oh you wanted clear and concise you gotta read the books <laughs> that's right this is the movie where everything's made up and the books don't matter <laughs> <laughs> But we then see the Durmstrang ship on the water as two cannons are fired. And they really shouldn't have let Filch hang out on the boat by himself in hindsight. Just saying. Him and his premature evacuation of cannons. <laughs> Impressive that he got two off that quickly. Right? <laughs> He's getting better. Is or he worse. Though? <laughs> Not sure. Moving on, as the girls of Bobaton and the boys of Durmstrang make their way down the corridor as all the Hogwarts students applaud, 
we join our golden trio in their yearly trip to the Department of Closure. Though it doesn't really close anything, let's be honest. It closes a door. It closes another year at Hogwarts. It closes another year at Hogwarts. <laughs> Silly Ron wonders if they will ever just have a normal fucking year at Hogwarts. Harry and Hermione both chuckle and say, hell no. Make the movies really boring if they did. Right? Ron should have known what he signed up for when he saw Harry's scar on that first day on the train. Like, come on. Pretty obvious. Big old scar. You're in for a fuck ton of trouble. That's what we do. But Ron shrugs and says, what's life without a few dragons? Because Dumbledore isn't the only one who can speak a motivational poster. I mean, obviously he looks up to his hero. Right? Or maybe it goes along with that whole theory that I was Dumbledore say, is Ron. <laughs> it reminds me of the Time Turner Ron theory. Yeah. <laughs> Where Dumbledore is actually Ron, having traveled back. Which I also ultimately disagree with. Well, yes. But that is a completely different podcast episode. <laughs> Basically. Facts. <laughs> the two boys start to walk away but hesitate when Hermione doesn't follow. They look at her, and with trembling eyebrows, she comments that everything is going to change now. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Harry puts his hand on her shoulder and very matter-of-factly just says, yes. I love how he delivers that line. I love the delivery of it. It's so simple, but says so much. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just something about his delivery that really shows how much he's grown as an actor yeah. at this point. And it... I've made my comments. He still has his moments. But this was just spot on delivery. Yeah. And I loved it. It was just, yes. It was like, I wish that I could reassure you and say no, but I can't. I'm not going to lie to you. Truth is generally preferable to lies. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. We fucked. <laughs> but Hermione nods, takes a deep breath, and joins the boys in their walk down the corridor as she makes them both promise to write her over the summer holiday. Ron reminds her who the fuck he is and laughs at such a silly demand, while Harry says he will in the most sarcastic way possible. Despite the fact that just two years ago, he was whinging about how he hadn't gotten any letters or news from his friends all summer. But, you know, sure, Harry, go off and be a dick like that. Like it's a federal crime when someone else doesn't write to you, but you're not going to bother to write to them. But Hermione smiles, shakes her head, and rolls her eyes, because that's all you can really do at that point. And we know in the books that they all do write each other. Mm-hmm. But she smiles, shakes her head, and rolls her eyes, because that's about all you can do at this point. And she drags them out to watch the Bobaton carriage fly off into the sunset as the Durmstrang ship sinks back into the Black Lake. The music swells, and the screen fades to black, and we are finally fucking done with this fucking movie! <laughs> however we still have a little bit to go with the book that's fine because we're done with the movie Woohoo! and that is not at all how it happens in the book what yeah because the book actually gives us real closure wait we're supposed to get that <laughs> we actually see them travel back home mm -hmm. well hogwarts is home but they travel back Mm -hmm. to their summer homes platform nine and three quarters yeah we see them on the train yeah, we see them on the train and harry ron and hermione get a train compartment to themselves which is nice because and lucky yeah <laughs> honestly there's probably a lot of people that don't want to sit with harry at this point 
they probably still think he murdered Cedric. It's like in Mean Girls where half the school thinks that Katie Heron pushed Regina George in front of the bus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the other half don't. But either way, it's not good. But Harry still gets to be prom queen, so that's cool. Hey, that's the important part. Facts. <laughs> anyway. They got all of their animals snoozing. And because they have the compartment to themselves, they actually get a chance to talk. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that they really talk about what happened. It's not mentioned what their conversation is in the book because they don't need to recap it for us. Yeah. But they do let us know that they actually really talk. They actually have the conversation. And the one thing that stops the conversation is the arrival of the lunch trolley. Mm-hmm. Hermione gets up to go buy herself some snacks. And when she comes back with her food and tries to put her money back into her school bag, she accidentally dislodges a copy of the Daily Prophet. Mm -hmm. And Harry sees it and he's just like, oh, fuck, what's in that? Yeah. Oh, what are they saying now? And Hermione sees him looking at it and just very confidently tells him, don't worry, there is nothing in it. I've been checking it. Fudge must be leaning on them to keep him quiet. And Harry's just like, yeah, but... Fudge is never going to be able to keep Rita Skeeter quiet. And Hermione's just like, it's funny you say that. Fudge isn't, but maybe (laughs) someone else is. In a very oddly constrained voice, she says that Rita hasn't written anything since the third task and won't be writing anything for a while. Not unless she wants me to spill the beans on her. Beans? You have beans? Let's hear the beans. Yeah, Ron's exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hermione explains in a rush that makes Harry think that she's been holding on to this information for a while, which we know that she has. Yeah. Because this happened back when Harry was still in the hospital wing. Mm-hmm. So a day if we're talking about the movie. Or <laughs> apparently a month, according to the book. Mm-hmm. I hope she poked some holes in that jar. I know, right? Oh, my goodness. So... In this rush, she explains that she figured out how Rita's been listening into private conversations when she's supposed to be banned from the grounds. Mm -hmm. And Harry immediately wants to know how she was doing it. Whereas Ron is more like, how did you figure this out? Mm -hmm. So Hermione answers Ron's questions first, explaining that it was actually Harry who gave her the idea. And he's like, what did I do? (laughs) And she just goes bucking. And Harry's just like, but I thought you said it wouldn't work. Like Ron and Harry are both like, but I thought that that wouldn't work. And she's just like, not electronic bugs. Rita Skeeter can quite literally turn into a beetle. She is an unregistered animagus. That kind of shit right there will get her in so much trouble. And I've figured it out. And Mm -hmm. as she's saying all of this shit, she pulls a jar, a sealed glass jar. Like you said, hopefully she pokes some holes in the top. Hopefully there's some holes. And this is my favorite part of the whole thing. A sealed glass jar containing a few twigs and leaves. Well, yeah, you got to put them in their own natural environment. I love I love that she gave her a beetle environment, some twigs and leaves. Rita's in there like, this is just like the fucking forest. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Talk about slumming it. I can't even forgive anybody who was part of the decision to not include this. Mm-mm. No, they can fuck right off. Because number one, it completely explains why Rita was willing to write the article that she writes in the next book slash movie, which we will get to. Mm-hmm. Number two, it shows just how fucking badass Hermione is. Yup. 
And number three, it's so fucking funny. Right? It's hilarious, dude. She kept a beetle in a jar for a month. No, no, no. She kept a person as a beetle <laughs> in a jar for a month. Thanks, you're right. Yes. She kept a person that was in a beetle form in a jar for a month. <laughs> With a stick and a leaf. With a stick and a leaf. <laughs> oh, my God. How did they think this was not necessary to include? We got bilked. Like, oh, my God. It is unforgivable. It is as unforgivable as leaving out peeves in my mind. Facts. Big facts. All I wanted was Beetle Rita. That's all I wanted. Right. That's really hard to say, by the way. Beetle, Beetle Rita. Rita. <laughs> Beetle Rita. All I wanted is to beat a Beetle Riddle. Damn it. <laughs> See? <laughs> all I wanted was to beat a Beetle Rita. <laughs> Try saying that ten times fast. Beat a Beetle Rita? Beat a Beetle Rita? Beat a... Beat a beetle Rita. Beat a beetle Rita. Beat a beetle Rita. Beat a beetle Rita. I think we just beetle found the episode beetle. title. <laughs> beetle beetle Rita. It just sounds like we're saying beetle beetle Rita. I know. Beat a beetle Rita. Anyway, moving on. Y'all enjoy doing that at home. Ron is like, "There's no fucking way. You have Rita fucking Skeeter in a jar." With a twig and a leaf. Like, this is not a thing. And Hermione's just like, oh, it's a thing. Look at those <laughs> markings around the beetle's eyes. They are exactly like the foul glasses that she wears. Mm -hmm. There's no way you have this. The fuck I don't. Oh, I got this. <laughs> this is not just some random beetle I put in a jar. This right here is Rita fucking Skeeter. <laughs> and then Harry remembers there was a beetle on the statue the night that they heard Hagrid telling Madame Maxime about his mom. Mm-hmm. And like... In that chapter, it specifically said that Harry tried to pay attention to the beetle so he wouldn't overhear this private thing that Hagrid was talking about. Mm -hmm. It was there! Which is interesting, because Harry was trying to not overhear by focusing on the beetle, and the beetle was trying to overhear. <laughs> like, that's all the beetle wanted. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Don't you think? I do. Yeah. I do think. And yeah, I really do think. <laughs> Hermione also points out that Victor pulled a beetle out of her hair right mm -hmm. after they had their conversation by the lake after the second task. You have a water beetle in your hair. And she just like brushes it away like whatever. Are you okay, Harry? Yeah. It was mentioned. Mm-hmm. So she figures that Rita was in beetle form perched on the windowsill in the divination classroom because Harry opened the window. It made mention of an insect buzzing around. Mm-hmm. When Harry fell asleep and had the dream and woke up with his scar hurting. You can never take anything for granted. Right. You really can't. And this is proof of that. I can't believe how much this was set up to just be completely ignored for the films. Mm-hmm. Just completely ignored. Yes. It's criminal. Newell! But anyway, so she figures that she was buzzing around for stories all year. Mm -hmm. In beetle form, because she wasn't supposed to be there in human form. Technically, she wasn't supposed to be there in beetle form either. No, but definitely not. <laughs> that was a loophole she was not caring about. Facts. Ron realizes that Malfoy must have been talking to her in his hand when it looked like he was using a walkie-talkie. Mm-hmm. And Hermione's just like, yeah, he had to have known all along. And that's how she was getting all of those interviews with the Slytherins, because they were highly publicized <laughs> quoting horrible things about harry and hermione and hagrid and whatnot yep but she's pretty pleased with herself and she puts the jar back in her bag smiling and this smile is somewhat wiped off of her face when malfoy crab and goyle 
choose this opportunity to just barge in. Of course. They just open the door. Draco sarcastically calls Granger very clever. He's like, very clever, Granger. It doesn't say sarcastically in the book, but I know he's not being sincere. So I added well, yeah. in sarcastically just because Draco. Sarcastically or maliciously even. Yeah. I would take either. But he sure as hell wouldn't be nice about it. Definitely not. And Harry notices that the three boys look more pleased with themselves and arrogant than he has ever seen them. Mm-hmm. Which is impressive because yeah. they're pretty fucking arrogant to begin with. But now they think they're big boys on campus. Mm-hmm. And Malfoy uses this big boy power to just walk right into the compartment as he mocks Hermione for catching a pathetic reporter and Harry for being Dumbledore's favorite boy again. Uh, excuse me? That never stopped. Right? <laughs> Do you think that getting illegally entered into the Quad Wizard Tournament made Dumbledore not like me? <laughs> like, no, dude. I was always his favorite That's guy. cute. That's cute. You're so <laughs> jealous. Aw, baby. But he takes it a little step further and smirks, going, oh, are you trying to not think about it? I'm trying not to think about how much I want to punch you in the face. Well, Harry doesn't say that. He says... He's thinking it. I'm sure he is. But he says, get out. However, he does grip his wand under yeah. his robes. He is preparing mm -hmm. for the inevitable. <laughs> Straight and to the point. You have to respect that. And Malfoy, who has no idea how to read a room, starts talking about how Harry picked the losing side. He's just like, remember, I warned you the first time we met that you shouldn't hang around with riffraff like these people like blood traitors and mudbloods and he was like they're gonna be the first ones to go now that the dark lord well the second ones diggory was the first one to go oh son you just signed your own death warrant and then within seconds of making that comment it mm -hmm. was like fireworks went off in the train compartment yep and those three slytherins just end up unconscious on the floor looking a little worse for the wear and Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all standing, having each used a couple different hexes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as it turns out, Fred and George are in the corridor, having also used some jinxes on these assholes. Right? So they just got bombarded. They did, indeed. And the twins step into the compartment with George making it a point. I love this. So the twins come in the compartment to see what's going on, and George makes it a point two-step on Malfoy as he's entering. Not to avoid him. Well, how do you not? He makes it a point to step on him. I think of it very much the same way as how Sirius was not bothering to stop Snape's head from hitting the ceiling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, very pointedly. Yes. If you will. Steps on him. I love it. Mm -hmm. And he checks out the effects of the multitude of curses and he's just like, who used the Fernunculus curse? And Harry's just like, oh, that was me. <laughs> I did that. Which was our trivia question from two weeks before because we didn't realize we would need to split this chapter into two. Yep. <laughs> and George finds the effects extremely interesting since it mixed with his jelly legs jinx and caused crab to sprout tentacles all over his face. <laughs> Again, that's a hentai I've seen. I mean... I'm pretty sure that they decided it made him look better, though. Was that in this book? I mean, I feel like in any book, that would be the truth. This is an improvement <laughs> to his looks. Yeah. Anyway, 
Ron, Harry, and George roll them out into the corridor and just shut the door on him. They just leave him in the corridor. Sure. <laughs> Covered in tentacles and other random shit. <laughs> Unconscious. <laughs> Fuck you all. Facts. Fred pulls out a pack of cards, and they all start playing Exploding Snap. Which was our trivia question. Yep. About halfway through game five, Harry's just like, fuck it, I'm gonna ask him. Who were you blackmailing? And the twins are initially like, oh, no, no, it's, it's no big deal. We, It's over. It's done with. And they're like, no, really, like, we all want to know who were you blackmailing? Yeah. What was going on here? Inquiring minds want to know, twins. Exactly. And they were like, okay, fine. It was Ludo Bagman. And Harry's just like, what? Did he have anything to do with? And- the movie. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no. Which is also the answer to what Harry was actually asking, because George is just like, no, it was nothing like that at all. He's a stupid git who wouldn't have the brains to be involved with Voldemort's return to power. Mm-hmm. So Ron wants to know what he did do. Yeah. Understandably. And the twins are like, well, remember that bet that we made mm-hmm. at the Quidditch World Cup that... Ireland would win, but Crumb would get the snitch, and then we turned out to totally be right, and we bet all of our life savings on that and got paid, and we were going to use that to start our joke shop. Yeah. Funny story. (laughs) The asshole paid us back in leprechaun gold. Because he's a dick. And Ron's just like, well, and they're like, well, it vanished the next day. And Hermione's like, well, that had to have been a mistake. And they're like, yeah, that's what we thought at first. Mm Mm-hmm. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Oh, sure. So we let him know. And in the end, he just told them that they were too young to be gambling and he wasn't going to give them anything. Yeah. Son's a bad loser. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, can we just have our money back? It was like 37 galleons. Yeah. Like, a lot of fucking money, and man. Some sickles and nuts. Mm-hmm. And a trick wand. Can't forget the trick wand. But they were like, well, can we have our money back? And he flat out refused to do that, too. Well, now it's time to lay some smack down. Asshole. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up turning out that Lee Jordan's dad also had trouble getting money from him. I imagine he placed a winning bet as well. Mm-hmm. I probably also got leprechaun gold. Sneaky little bastard. If that. He probably knew he couldn't trick Lee Jordan's dad. Yeah. I don't know. Regardless. Yeah. Had trouble getting his money off of him and... It's all because he borrowed loads of gold from the goblins. Mm-hmm. And they cornered him in the forest at the Quidditch World Cup and literally took all of the gold that he had on him that he had collected for these bets. So he literally did not have the money to pay to these people. Yeah, don't fuck with the goblins, man. Oh, no. That'll teach you. He found out what awaits the sin of greed for sure. Facts. But... In an effort to pay the goblins back, he decided to place another bet. Because that makes sense. This time, betting that Harry Potter would win the Quad Wizard Tournament. Mm-hmm. And Harry's just like, well, now he can pay you back because I won. Right. And Fred and George are like, well. About that. So the goblins play just as dirty as Bagman. And they claimed that you drew with Diggory when Bagman was betting you'd win outright. So they refused to pay, and Bagman just had to run for it, which he did right after the third task. Boy, doesn't it suck when plans backfire on you. Yes, loads. Yes. (laughs) 
Boy, doesn't it suck when you get a taste of your own medicine. Yeah. <laughs> but George sighs and just begins dealing out the cards again, because what else can you do? They lost their money. They have no way of getting it back. Bagman's in the wind. Yeah. They're just shit out of luck. There's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. The rest of the journey just passes pleasantly, and Harry just kind of wants it to go on for the whole summer. I feel like he'd eventually get tired of being on that train, mm -hmm. but the idea of going back to Privet Drive and being with the Satchels of Assholes would have to keep him on that train happily for at least two weeks. I mean, I would even say longer. I feel like if the Dursleys are the other option, we're living and dying on that train. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm saying, even if the train was going to Snape's house, I'm pretty sure he would still choose that yeah. over, over going back to the Satchels of Assholes. Maybe. That's a toughie. Well. But Harry's learned the hard way that when you're really not looking forward to something, it gets there faster. Yep. So all too soon, it's just like, here we are, platform nine and three quarters. Time flies when you're actually enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts to get off of the train. Hermione and Ron have to struggle past Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle, who are still unconscious and looking hideous in the corridor. <laughs> and Harry's just like, Fred, George, wait. Mm -hmm. And they stop. And he pulls out the sack of galleons and just gives it to him, thrusts it in George's hand. He's just like, you take this for the joke shop. Mm -hmm. And they're like, like that no we can't take this money like, yeah we can't you, do that guy. Like, like, this is your money and harry's just like no i don't want it i don't need it but i think we can all do with a few good laughs mm -hmm. take it which is really really wise he has his moments mm -hmm. he's not a ravenclaw but he has his moments he doesn't speak in cross stitch but you know what he has his epiphanies insights, insights yes it's a good word and you know what there was no better way for him to use that money oh i'm so glad he did that and i'm so upset that the movie didn't include this right because we're just left like okay where did they get that money to start a fucking joke shop yeah <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves but last we know is they drop out of school how is it that they yeah. all of a sudden have a joke shop opening yeah. up that's it would have been nice to have this explanation not to mention it shows harry's generosity like the kind of person that he is is really reflected in this moment mm-hmm not to mention the fact that it probably just felt like blood bunny to him. Oh, yeah. So why hold on to that? I mean... Use it for something good. Yeah. Use it for something that would really piss off Voldemort. Right? <laughs> you know poo. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, this part always annoyed me so much because George weighs the sack in his hand and says, there's got to be a thousand galleons in here, which, duh, George, of it was a thousand is. galleon prize. Like, there isn't got to be. It's literally a bag of a thousand galleons. That was half of the reason you wanted to get in right. on the Triwizard Tournament to begin with, oh guys. My oh, it just cracks me up. I'm like, Ugh. why? Like, why would you word it that way? Right. Like, why not say, but Harry, this is a thousand galleons. Yeah. It gets the exact same point across and doesn't make George sound like an idiot. Right. <laughs> Harry does not make fun of him the way that I just did and just smiles and says, Think about how many canary creams that is. The twins are just like, they're just staring at him. They have no idea what to say. Mm -hmm. No idea what to do. Yeah. You know, they want to take the money, but they feel bad about doing it. Right. And they're just like, uh. So Harry's just like, you're going to take this. 
and you're not going to tell your mom where you got it from. That's a very important thing. (laughs) Fred begins to protest and Harry just flat out pulls out his wand and points it at him. He's just like, take it. Or I'll hex you. I know some good ones now. He's basically the fry meme. Like, take my money, please. Yes. <laughs> He's just like, but buy Ron some different dress robes and say they're from you. Yeah. Which was nice. He's so generous because he knows that Ron is never going to accept them coming directly from him. He yeah. got super weird about Harry buying him the 10 galleon worth Omnioculars. Yeah. So... He'd never accept Harry buying him dress robes. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that Ron would feel really weird about his brothers being that nice. Yeah, but But his brothers are also assholes that burned a hole in his tongue and turned his favorite teddy into a spider. Like, he probably on some level feels like they owe it to him. There's that. Plus, they could also have, like, a lot of fun with that, too. Be like, these are totally normal dress robes, we swear. And they are totally normal dress robes. But Ron's going to wonder every single time he wears them. Every single time. (laughs) But he doesn't have a choice because it's either that or the ones that make him smell like Great Aunt Tessie. Unless you're reading the book when he just looks like he's super frayed and (laughs) second-handed. Very true. However, in the movie, there is no Thousand Galleon prize anyway, so it doesn't matter. They left everything out. Yep, it's just a giant lucite cup and no cash whatsoever. But, you know, that should be plenty of incentive, y'all. Yeah. You should be totally willing to risk your lives and the lives of others, really, at some point, just to fucking get a cup. You should. You should. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Or else this book wouldn't have existed. Right? (laughs) But anyway, Harry kind of mic drops the threat to hex them and request they buy Ron robes and then just leaves. Steps over the Slytherins unconscious on the floor and just leaves so that Fred and George can't argue anymore. He just leaves them with the money. It's Mm -hmm. yours. Take it. I ain't taking it back. You give it back to me. I'm just going to throw it in the bin. Yep. So you might as well just fucking take it. Uncle Vernon is waiting for him beyond the barrier. But he is standing near Mrs. Weasley. So she gets to Harry first and she gives him a huge hug. Mm -hmm. And she whispers to him that she thinks Dumbledore is going to let him stay with them later in the summer. So to keep in touch. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Ron and Hermione both say goodbye, and the twins mutter their thanks, and Harry just winks at him. <laughs> and then silently follows his uncle out of the station, deciding to himself that there's no point in worrying yet. Which is a valid point. And what he got from Hagrid was, what will come will come, and he will meet it when it does. Mm-hmm. End Goblet of Fire, book and movie. Roll credits, motherfuckers. Actually, roll Potter Ponderings. That too. (laughs) Where we want to know, what are your thoughts on how the movie wrapped up the Goblet of Fire? Yep, thoughts, comments. We know you got them. We know you got them. Let's hear them. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. We really look forward to reading and hearing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Daniel Cleary. He writes, In 8th grade, my family moved from California to Georgia, and I attended public school for the first time since 1st grade. Our large middle school assigned Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for a class reading assignment. We read along in class to Jim Dale's rendition of the audiobooks, and I was instantly enthralled. 
I read like never before. I usually had no attention span for reading, preferring video games and films, but this wizarding world had me up past my bedtime to read a book for the first time in my life. Our homerooms at school were our houses. I had the science teacher, so we got Slytherin, which ended up being my sorted house also. Gotta love that. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Daniel. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, in the U.S. version, Mrs. Weasley serves homemade strawberry ice cream for dessert. What do they refer to dessert as in the U.K. version? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag yummy will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. We also just want to take a minute to wish our first patron, mm-hmm. our number one keeper, I'd say, yeah, because she was like the first of so many things. She was one of our first listeners. Our support badger. Yes, Carly. Carly Ferguson gets a very special shout out today because it is her day of birth. It is. And we are very glad that this day happened because without it, we would have no support badger and we'd be very sad. She is an amazing human being Mm -hmm. that we are very blessed to be able to call a friend. I just love this girl so much. I can't even. (laughs) I'm so glad you were born. Yay, Carly. Happy, happy, happy birthday. Yes, we love you very much. And join us next week when we start discussing the differences between the UK and US versions of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and share our favorite moments from the episodes covering the first half of the book and the movie. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.